Rivera standing by right now is the one and the only Sean Mooney. Who? Mooney, everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. <laughs> After you threw him off through the announce table, Taker climbs back down, he gets in the ring, and he goes, see if he's breathing. So right before I called 911, I thought she'd fallen asleep. Kind of shook her a little bit to, to wake her up, and she did not respond. I don't go down to my go to my grave, testifying or whatever, swearing that Davey was not on drugs. If he was on drugs, the way Brett says, how does I mean, how great does that make Davey? Are you laughing, Sean? I get off the track here all the time. Did you just laugh, Sean? You go ahead and chop me. Just give me a big chop. I'll sell. I'll give you my whole chest and everything. And then I'll look at you like this, and uh, then I'll punch you right in the mouth, as far as I can. <laughs> Attention, Sean Mooney, you scum, you slime, you maggot. If there's no further questions, you're dismissed. Carry on, maggot. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to another edition of Primetime with Sean Mooney. I hope you've had a fabulous week so far. We're coming off our episode with Mick Karsh. I'm glad that you guys finally got a chance to listen to that great conversation that we had. You know, Mick known as the voice of Minnesota wrestling, but also, and whether he had planned it or not, uh, has become a great historian of Minnesota wrestling over the years. Uh, fascinating stories he had to tell about so many greats that were part of the glory days of the AWA and Vern Gagne. Uh, so many uh, greats come out of there. Nick Bockwinkle, of course, he was a huge fan of Nick Bockwinkle. Uh, actually started his fan club and uh, just had... Uh, so much to talk about with him, but, you know, so many others, uh, you know, Bobby Heenan was, uh, you know, really uh, came uh, to prominence as a manager uh, traveling through that territory. Also Gene Okerlund, uh, you know, of course, Hulk Hogan. And uh, when the Hulkster went to the WWF at the time, uh, he knew that he had to have his wingman by him. And that was uh, Gene Okerlund. And we know the rest is history. Uh, what happened with those two uh, long remembered uh, as legends in this business, and uh, the Hulkster back, and uh, he's been quite busy too. And uh, of course, we miss Gene Okerlund every day. He was uh, the best of the best. No one was ever better than Gene Okerlund with uh, with a microphone in their hand. A lot of people remember that era. It was just a really special time. You know, a really big part of what what, what shaped the business in the future. Because uh, if you'll recall, that was when you know they had all the territories and the NWA was really what uh, it was uh, had set out to be, National Wrestling Alliance, where you had all these territories who had you know this organization really, and uh, all the promoters cooperated with each other, they tra- you know exchanged talent, they respected each other's territories, and then it all went to hell when they all uh, started to see the the uh, development of cable and how that would affect the, the world, you know, how you could uh, sell, you could have your product seen by, you know, millions of people across the country. And uh, just a really fascinating time. Of course, everybody knows what Vince McMahon did from that point and kind of took everything over, but really just a fascinating, fascinating time and just an incredible conversation with Mick. And I'm just so glad, like I said, I'm, I'm glad you had a chance to uh, hear from Mick. Let's get to this conversation, the main event today. Um, you know, the first time I, I heard uh, Sam Roberts, because people told me, yeah, you got to listen to this guy. He does all these interviews with the wrestling personalities. And I, I heard his voice. I'm like, oh, my goodness, man, what the heck? But And uh, we, we talk about it in our conversation. 
But I, I have to, you know, to tell you uh, honestly is that, uh, you know, I kept listening because he had great guests on. He has great guests on his uh, his podcast, and he is an excellent uh, interviewer. Uh, you know, he he is he's just curious, and those uh, those kind of people make the best uh, interviewers because they ask the questions that you're thinking. Of. And, uh, you know, he, he tells uh, the story of how he got started in, in this because he, you know, his, his backgrounds in radio, he was, um, you know, a producer with uh, the Opie and Anthony show, which was this kind of, you know, shock jock uh, radio program for years. And not only just a producer, but also a talent. And he's uh, now on, he also, besides everything else the guy does, I don't know when he finds time, but he has a, a show that he does daily uh, on Sirius XM. So, uh, let's get to this conversation with Sam Roberts. Ding, ding, ding. My guest this week is well-known in the world of professional wrestling. He is the host of the the Not Sam podcast. Everybody knows that podcast. Millions around the world listening. And he has made uh, several and continues to make appearances on various WWE programming but he's also known around the world as the host of the Sirius uh, XM show, Jim Norton and Sam Roberts. Uh, folks, basically, he never stops talking. He's just all day long. Sam Roberts, welcome to Primetime. How are you? Good, man. That was an amazing introduction, especially coming from you. How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm great. I'm great. I'm out in uh, Arizona. The weather is perfect this time of year. So, And I'm talking to Sam Roberts, so what could be better? And it doesn't you know? sound like it could possibly get any better. No. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, is it uh, weird for you to be interviewed? I mean, you've done thousands of interviews, and then when like they turn the mic, and you're being interviewed, is it is it strange to you or or no? So it's not necessarily weird uh, to be interviewed because I've always, I mean, because I've always done like talk radio and interviews and everything as conversations. So yeah. you know, it's not so much one side or the other, but it is like if I I'm not really trying to wrap my head around who's interviewing me right now because as somebody that i i grew up watching interview people the idea that it's sean mooney now interviewing me that's a head trip <laughs> the premise of interviewing i can handle i don't well, know about I'll, tell you, the part. I'll tell you that i was i was trying to figure out like when is this guy going to fit me into his schedule here because I, I i i can't even imagine what your day is like unless it just seems like it maybe you create this but between, uh, you know, the podcast you do during the week, uh, just for wrestling, and then you've got this other gig on, uh, Sirius XM. I mean, give me a typical week, cause I know what, you know, one day would not be enough. So give me a typical week in your life. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, you definitely go by the week because some yeah. days are heavier than others for sure. And I fit in like one or two nights that will be my sleep nights. So like yeah. I kind of like <laughs> look forward to those. Nights like, okay, if I could just keep pushing through until this night, I'll be able to sleep like seven or eight hours and it'll be fine. So it helped a lot. I built a studio in my house. So the stuff that I don't do on Sirius, uh, I cut down a lot on transportation and everything. So that, and so like when people like you reach out, I don't need to figure out like, okay, when can I get to a studio? So it sounds right and blah, blah, blah. I just go, okay, I can, I can do podcasts like yours and my wrestling podcast and all that stuff out of my home, which made, a world of difference. But I mean, I'm up every morning uh, during the week at 440 because mm. I go into the city and do the morning show with Jim on Sirius XM. 
And that's every, that's, you know, those are my mornings every single weekday. Uh, I get home. The wrestling podcast now comes out twice a week because of all the content. We just started going twice a week, which yeah. is probably a stupid idea on my part. I don't think I have that kind of time, but yeah. you know, there's just so much to cover. So that is every Monday morning. So that's Sunday evening. I tape that. And then Thursday afternoon, as soon as I get home from the show, I do kind of a recap podcast. Right. of the whole week um try to sneak in two or three visits to the gym a week uh and then you know every four to six weeks or so there's another uh wwe gig that i'm lucky enough to get to travel for uh so i'm out there doing that uh kind of constantly on the hunt for interviews that i can air on the podcast every week uh, looking for bonus yeah. to make right. I do a youtube show every friday night uh, which is just like a topical YouTube talk show called Sam Roberts Now. Um, there's a monthly sneaker show that I do for the YouTube channel as well. Uh, and I have two kids. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you see them when? <laughs> um, whenever, whenever I, I, I bring my head up from the basement studio. Yeah. And That's I go right. like, okay, you got me for an hour. Uh, take a good look. Take a look at this face. It's going to change <laughs> by the time you see it next time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not like me going, oh, my God, you guys have gotten so bigger. I see the yeah. kids go, oh, God, Dad, you're you're older. You're so much older. <laughs> the gray hair come from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that is an amazing schedule. Uh, and and most of the, the podcast interviews you do in studio with a lot of the guys, right? So that's – what I do you try, you try to, to line those up? Yeah, I mean, I try to uh, get them when I can. Uh, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air about it's a little easier being in New York. So if somebody's around uh, during the week in the morning and maybe they're on a press tour or whatever, they're coming up to Sirius, I can line up a podcast interview there. Or I've gone to WWE live events where I can go early before the show and line up an interview with somebody that I can tape there or, you know, whenever they have press conferences or events like that or, or you know 2k had a launch uh last week for their video game and they had a bunch of interviews there so i try to like take advantage of every single press interview opportunity that i can because it's all content that i can use for the right. podcast and then and then you know if need be if nothing lines up in a given week we we can do phoners and skype interviews from the studio as well yeah yeah and that that is the thing, uh, you know, people don't realize it, especially when you make that uh, commitment to do guests every week. Oh. That is one thing. And I mean, when I started this, you know, Hacksaw did the first 20 episodes. And then, uh, you know, when he decided that, uh, you know, he wanted to do something that actually made money, uh, <laughs> you know, he, he I was thinking, OK, I, I really like doing this. But and I had originally thought of an idea when we started this. I wanted to do like an event center when they first approached me and then have guests every week. But I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to get people? Mm -hmm. And uh, the people that were involved in the show were like, you know, we'll just, just take, you know, take it one week at a time. I literally did that. But, uh, you know, to get people after a while, like some days, some weeks you get three people and I just bank them. And then yeah. I'm, you know, think I'm riding a little bit and then it's all of a sudden, oh, crap, we got one left in the can. And, yeah. uh, you're always constantly, you know, thinking about that. And now, I mean, I'm two, uh, two and a half years into this and over a hundred and something episodes, but it's still, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have to start maybe 
you know, broadening that scope, getting some of the new guys. You know, he right. he watched the W he watched the WWF when he was a kid. You know, <laughs> that, that tie in and hope that they've heard of me somewhere along the line. But uh, it is it's it's a uh, it's a lot of work. So I I always think about like what you do and uh, and and doing the XM uh, stuff. Uh, can you do that from home too? I mean, it's in studio. Is that all? They always have they have cameras on you too. Yeah, there are cameras. You got to be in the studio. Yeah, I have, I have, I, we just recently set up my studio to be able to patch into the Sirius studio if need be, but that's if there's like a blizzard or if there's some reason I can't get out of my house. Other than that, I drive into the city every morning just because, I mean, I like, I like being in the Sirius studio. I like being there with Jim. I like if we have guests coming in, we have guests in almost right. every day. So like, you know, I like being there with the staff and with the guests and, you know, kind of creating this world. Yeah, that interaction is. Uh... Yeah different than than just from a mic for uh, sure that's, that's very true but uh it is amazing today what you can do because you know, not not too long ago it would sound like we were on a phone there was no way to have like that crisp like we're in the studio together now you can you know with skype and these other um, different kinds of technology you can do it but yeah it's, it's made everything it's made everything possible to do multiple things like for instance when nxt premiered as a two-hour show on the usa network uh, they brought myself, Pat McAfee, and Charlie in to do a pre-show for the WWE Network just to celebrate that NXT was going to be live for two hours, and that's middle of the week. But because yeah. the Performance Center has all the technology in the world and Sirius has figured out all the technology in the world, I was actually able to do the Wednesday and Thursday show that week live from the WWE Performance Center. So it's like I was able to still be on Sirius in the morning and then go and, and do the network show Wednesday night and then wake up first thing Thursday morning and be back on Sirius and then fly back to New York. But it, it really is wild the way technology has kind of eliminated excuses. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, you can broadcast from anywhere. I mean, I've, I've done stuff from a, in a car before, yeah. you know, and it's not a bad sound booth, actually. But, uh, you know, it is. It's, it's, it's <laughs> where you can do that now with a hotspot and just get on the Internet. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Sam, you're, you're a very unique talent and you remind me, you know, like a Rosenberg is kind of along the same way. You guys have, uh, you know, not only done so well with, you know, like a, like a one focus thing, like somebody would be happy to do one of your jobs, but you guys have like five. And, uh, I want to, I want to talk about them, but I, I first want to begin like where this all started with you, because I think about like what you, what kind of a kid you must have been like, uh, <laughs> And, and I'm going to let you explain that to me. Then I'm going to give you what my theory was. I don't know before, or maybe before, maybe you want to hear it first. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you that I was, I've always been obsessive. Like I was a very obsessive kid. I'm an obsessive adult. Like I'm just an obsessive person. So like, you know, as a kid, I was super, super, super into wrestling. Like from the time I was really, that was your first love before. Absolutely. Yeah. before okay. anything and it always has been and they're never it's never dipped it's never done anything like the toys that i wanted as a kid were wrestling toys i bought every wrestling magazine i i recorded everything on vhs uh you know everything everything and then as i got older like i i started uh my doing like a wrestling tape trading business and i was making like uh custom accessories for wrestling action figures and and kind of the wrestling hobby was evolving along with my life and it was just, it, it never went down. It just 
changed and and yeah. matched my life. At the same time, uh, I listened to a lot of radio. You know, when I was growing up, I would listen to Howard Stern in the morning. I'd listen to in high school Opie and Anthony in the afternoon, and so I just kind of really became obsessed with that radio as a medium. This was before podcasts, obviously, because it was this sort of free format way of entertainment. You know, I always liked TV talk shows and everything like that, but everything was so tightly uh, choreographed and there were clearly so many hands at play and everything had to line up and you had to have this whole operation working. Whereas radio, it sounded like you could just be a guy. And if you had your wits about up as you go and, and create this world. And I think that's what I was really into. So, you know, as I went to college, Still obsessed with wrestling, still obsessed with radio, started doing college radio and, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, but you, you mentioned Howard Stern and uh, you know, somebody who like would go to war with later. I mean, uh, when you're working with uh, Opie and Anthony uh, that but was he someone and I imagine you still must admire him for what he did uh, with that format, because prior to that, it was, uh, you know, kind of that they they still had the happy talk new, uh, morning radio teams and. He just blew that out of the uh, of the ocean. Yeah, I mean, I always liked and still do like that Howard uh, has always had a tremendous ambition, and, and not even just an ambition for himself, but an ambition that that he wants the the art form to match his ambition, if that makes sense. Like you know, radio, I think, had this ceiling, and. Howard had this other ceiling. Howard had these great ambitions to be respected the same way the biggest celebrities in the world are respected, but radio didn't get that respect, so it was up to him to kind of redefine the genre. And that's yeah. what happened, and you saw a lot of the people that you know were kind of his rivals, especially in the late 80s into the 90s, were kind of trying to follow – his model, because they felt like, oh, radio is evolving, so I'll just follow the way radio is evolving. But, it, I mean, it, it, he never really followed that evolution. It was his ambition that that I think the genre kind of followed. And that's really what I always liked about him. Yeah, and the risks that he took, I mean, along yeah. the way that, uh, you know, that nobody else was would dare do. I mean, they they – Felt they had to keep feeding their families, I guess. But you know, but uh, Howard was one of those people, and I and I was living back east when he was really rising, you know, king of all media. Mm-hmm. And I just remember listening and going like, oh my god, like nobody has done this, and nobody has dared to. And then you had others come along who, uh, you know, who did it their their way, but they borrowed a lot from Howard. And did you ever? Did you have you gotten to know him over the years? Did you have a relationship with him? No, no. I mean, I've said really? hello. No, yeah, yeah. I've never, I've, I've never gone past saying hello. We, we both, you know, do our shows up at Sirius, and if we, if we pass, you know, like ships in the night, either on the way into the studio or on the way out, we'll say hello. Uh, but beyond that, no, I've never, I've never actually had a conversation with him. But I would love to sometime. Yeah, you know, and and I think that uh, you know people kind of remember him as this shock jock. He still pushes the envelope even to this day. But uh, I don't think people really appreciate that he's he's a great interviewer. And, uh, you know, if you just listen to his interviews, uh, he's one of the best, Uh, you know, and I don't know if uh, you've ever, you know, appreciated that with him. But I've always felt that nobody's really given that guy credit for that. He's a really great interviewer. Yeah, I mean, I also think that I think people are starting to come around on that, especially with the book that he just came out with. And and that's kind of 
he's he's always been very good at uh redefining the way he's perceived too. I think that uh perception of him as a good interviewer it took so much work, but he's finally starting to get there. I think he's pretty underappreciated for his ability to tell stories, you know. I think that so many people think that they can get on the air and just talk about mundane things and it'll be entertaining, but it's not. It's just because, you know, you hear a guy like uh Howard or there are a few others, but there's a very small handful of people that can take the mundane and turn it into something interesting. I mean, I remember growing up, I was always just interested in when he would come on and be in there and describe his day. What did he do yesterday? And he would just talk about these sort of daily life activities, but he would do it in such a way where it's like, I'm, I'm interested. I'm hooked in this yeah. thing that, you know, this guy is doing that I don't even know who he is. Yeah. And the reason I, I brought that up is because you were, Kind of came from kind of that part of that that world of of entertainment, and when you got involved with uh, you know the the show with uh, Opie and Anthony, and um, was that kind of your your focus? Like, were you when you were growing up and you went to Syracuse, I did. which was known for as a great uh, broadcasting school? I think what you get a, a, a sociology degree? Is that, <laughs> yeah, you did. A, like, how did that happen? So. <laughs> That's really good research because most people just assume that I went to Newhouse yeah, yeah, and got yeah. a degree in broadcasting, like, and I let them believe that. That's the whole point of oh, well, sorry, going. I just uh, squashed no, that one. <laughs> no, you told the truth, and I, I mean, I like my story better than had I just gone and gotten a degree. So, so I went to Syracuse, uh, and I wanted to go to uh, film school. Actually, like I was, I was super oh, okay. interested in making. Uh, films uh but i also like broadcasting so i said you know syracuse is would be amazing because they have you know they have a film school but they also have this this sea of amazing broadcasters that have come out of syracuse and it's like okay this is perfect so i i got into syracuse but i didn't get into newhouse uh, you know because my grades weren't good enough i got into uh but i did get into the college of arts and sciences which is just kind of the the basic sort of here you go, undergrads, figure out what you're going to do. This is the College of Arts and Sciences. And my parents were shocked that I got into the College of Arts and Sciences, but we figure, I don't know, maybe they made a mistake, but we'll, we'll check yes on the box and we'll go. So, um, when I got there, the first thing I did was go like, okay, how do you transfer into Newhouse? That's the school, that's the best broadcasting school in the country. And they said, all you have to do is have a 3.5 GPA. If you have a 3.5 GPA, you transfer into Newhouse, Ooh. no problem. And I go, perfect. That's what I'll do then. Yeah. Except I'm not a like a school person. Like I, I'm not. I'm not. I, I didn't fail anything, but I'm like, uh, you know, I, I have so much going on. I'm obsessive, but unfortunately, I'm not obsessive about uh, book learning, as it's known. <laughs> so. Right. So I didn't get a 3.5 GPA. So I said, okay, what's plan B here? And in my second year, I went over to the School of uh, Visual and Performing Arts, and they had a film program in the Visual and Performing Arts School that was really more about the art of filmmaking and all this stuff. But it was still a film degree, and we got to make films and the whole deal. So I said, okay, per and you don't need a 3.5 GPA to get in there. So I said, perfect. That's where I'll go then, and I'll learn how to make films. So – I went in over there, and I was a year behind. So they said, okay, you can come in, but you're going to have to stay in Syracuse for a fifth year to make up for that first year of you putzing around trying to figure out what you were doing. And I said, okay, no problem, and that was the plan. And then right before – right after my third year of school, 
I got an internship with Opie and Anthony. And I spent the summer between my third and fourth years at Syracuse as an Opie and Anthony intern in New York City. And I mean, how did that happen? I so I was doing college radio at Syracuse because okay. I was still very, very interested in radio. And I was still, you know, I, I Opie and Anthony had been my favorite show in high school. They'd gotten thrown off the air. But that year they were the first time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but that year they were returning yeah. to satellite radio, to XM satellite radio. And this was before yeah. Howard was still on terrestrial radio. There was really no, satellite radio was more of a concept. There were no big personalities on right. satellite radio. So, yeah. you know, it's fairly untested and everything. But I was like, yeah, I'll get XM because I want to hear what Opie and Anthony are doing. So I got XM, I was listening to Opie and Anthony, I was listening to Howard, I was doing my college radio show, you know, once a week at like four o'clock in the morning on the college station. And I started sending out packages in September to every radio station in New York in preparation for the next summer. So saying like, I'm in Syracuse right now, I just got back here, but this summer I'll be out of my, you know, I'll be at home for the summer and I want to intern at a radio station. So I had a big package with my resume and my cover letter and a CD with all my bits that I had done on the radio and everything and all this stuff. And I sent I had a list of radio stations in New York and I sent a whole batch of them out in September and then I did it again in November and then in like February and then like throughout the year. So they would go, OK, you know, somebody's going to get back to me and f nobody did. And finally, I mean, in May. I started this process in September, in May, right mm -hmm. before I was going to get out. I got one callback from the whole process, and it was from Opie and Anthony, which was like a dream come true because, like I said, it was my favorite radio show before it got thrown off the air. As you know, right. a high school kid listening to Opie and Anthony, the best. So I was like, okay, this is amazing. So I got the intern, that's, and so I went and I, I interviewed with them, and, and they were like, okay, sounds good. And I was in that internship class for that summer. So I fell in love with it. I, I did pretty well as an intern. Um, I kind of started to be woven into the fabric of the show a very little bit, as much as an intern can be, and just really got along with, with Opie and Anthony and really got along with their crew. And, you know, I was just, this is, I immediately knew this is, this is what I want to do. I want to be here. I never want to leave. And they said, well, we can keep you on another semester, but you're in Syracuse. And I went, oh, no. Because it was also, like I said, they've been back on the air for a few months, which meant, you know, they're a new show. There might be openings. Yeah. There could change. You want to lose this. Yeah. Right. So right before I went back to Syracuse that August, I was like, OK, maybe I'll drop out of school. My dad said, you can drop out of school if you want, but you're going to have to pay rent to live in my house. I'm not going to just put you up. And I said, OK, well, Opie and Anthony internships don't pay right now. So, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford my dad's rent. I'm going to have to go back to school. But what I did was I said, I can't be there for two years. And I went through the course catalog um, and I went through every class that I had already taken and just figured out based on the classes I had already taken, what classes could I take within one year, two semesters <laughs> and get a degree, a degree, a degree, just to graduate. Yeah. And I have a yeah. degree. And I went, oh, like I've been interested in sociology this whole time. And I was like, if I, yes, I could take two semesters and then maybe a couple of online classes and I could put together the basic requirements for a sociology degree and I could graduate Syracuse 
in one year. And so, so that's what I did. I went and, you know, I didn't talk to an advisor or anything. I just real quick, like, I mean, a week before I went back to school, switched out of every film class, went into every sociology class and kind of under everybody's nose, just switched over uh, and got out of Syracuse within a year. Whole time I was in Syracuse going back and forth to New York City as much as possible to kind of just show my face at Opie and Anthony. And then I worked for free for a while after I got out of Syracuse and eventually got hired there. Wow. And uh, were you writing bits for them? I'm like, how did you start to get woven into the creative aspect of that and actually get to get on the air? Yeah, I mean, I tried to provide as much value as I could based on what the show needed. So, I mean, it was really just about material and content 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 so it was just finding like i i would i would obviously i'd be there listening to the show and if there was any sort of topic that the guys seemed super interested in or they just really got on a roll on i would say okay how can i expand this like is is there some kind of audio clip or is there some kind of bit i could make or is there something we could do to expand this topic because the guys obviously like this topic or I would go home and watch TV and I go, is there something we can goof on on the radio here? Is there something we can do? Like, you know, one weekend I was in my room all weekend and I recorded the basic cable version of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And then I got my DVD of Fast Times at Ridgemont High and I took every curse word that was edited to something else on basic cable and compared it with the actual curse word. And then handed that as like a disc, like listen to the ridiculous things that they replace curse words with. And, you know, and that made the air and it like made my day that that made the air. Or if there was some event going on in New York, whatever it was, I would grab a microphone and go out and try to get some kind of man on the street audio, some find some angle while I was out there and or find some character or something that I could bring back to the show or, you know, really whatever the show needed, just develop as much material as I possibly could. And, uh, you know, initially, like if somebody hear, hears your voice, they don't say, man, that guy's got a set of pipes on him. No. They so, the uh, so, yeah, so initially, I mean, was that a big obstacle for you? I mean, yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, well, because that's yeah. what you do on the air. They, that's what they hear. That's your, your product. Yeah, especially when I was younger, I think, you know, my voice has matured a little bit, but but it still doesn't sound like a broadcaster, a traditional broadcaster anyway. And and yeah, it never has. It sounded even less like a broadcaster before. And that's it was kind of an ongoing joke. It worked fine on Opie and Anthony because the first bit they had about me was how, you know, ridiculous my voice sounded and, and words I would say and everything. But yeah, I mean, like up until it was years ago, but. You know, there was a, uh, Entertainment Weekly was, was gonna have a channel on Sirius XM. And at that point, I was kind of, uh, trying to graduate on from being a producer on Opie and Anthony and find my own thing. And yeah. I went through auditions to be a host on the Entertainment Weekly channel and everything was good and, and the content was right. And I, you know, I, at that point, I was, I was a grizzled veteran, so I knew how to handle anything. And I went through all these auditions and everything was looking good. And the guy who was gonna run it was like, yeah, you're gonna, it's really looking promising. Yeah, the boss at Sirius likes you. Yeah, everybody likes you. Mm-hmm. And then at the very last minute, they were like, uh, look, I shouldn't be telling you this, but the guy that works at the magazine, he doesn't like the sound of your voice. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> you know, you don't, 
He don't like the sound of your voice. It's not, I, you know, I'm sorry, man. There's, and I go, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about the sound of my voice. All I can do yeah. is create content that's worth hearing regardless. Right. Um, right. But yeah, so I mean, I, I always kind of knew that I wasn't destined for the sort of like a Ryan Seacrest uh, kind of broadcastery <laughs> right. thing where I, like I knew I couldn't be a presenter. You know, I think that that's a whole separate art and I have a profound respect for it, but it, I don't have the natural gifts. I can't be a football player. Uh, I can't be a pro wrestler. I can't be a presenter, but there are other things that I can do with my voice that I think somebody with a great bassy broadcastery voice probably couldn't get away with. Yeah. And, and you know, the whole thing, and this is what I felt my, my entire life. I mean, I always hated the announcer voice guy, you know, mm-hmm. with the, uh, and now it's time for another edition of Primetime, which, you know, I, I, I hated the people that had voices like that. Um, the reason I think the re, the, the reason I have pipes now still is the event center. I mean, you know, you know <laughs> when you sit in a chair for, you know, five days and eight, nine hours a week and Howard Finkel calls you and tells you, you got to do 20 markets over because the berserker got hurt. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, I, I, it just got seasoned, you know, that you just, right. but I, I've always, fought against that. And the reason I say that is because it's, it, to me, it's always been about personality. Like talk to me and yes. your personality. So it doesn't matter what your voice sounds like. People become, if they like you, uh, it becomes an endearing part of you. You know, yeah, I, so, I like, I like that my voice, like most of me is not, uh, very conventional. It's not something I'm, I, I don't, I've never been insecure about it. it like I, I think that it actually, kind of develops a connection with people a little bit easier than if you just, you know, the voice of the narrator or the voice of the announcer, I don't think people really develop a connection with it. It's just like any other piece of this machine that's being presented to you and you're waiting for the thing that you can relate to. And I feel like when, when you hear somebody like me or a lot of the people that I've worked with, you hear the voice of a human being and that's the voice that you would hear if you were hanging out with this human being socially, you'd be like, yeah, that's what it would sound like. And and I think that that, that has its own merits. Oh, absolutely. And and so when you're you're on this journey back then and you're uh, an associate producer, I think that was one of the first things you did with them, yeah. probably not making much money. But <laughs> it sounds like you had a, a vision here. And, and uh, you know, there's people out there that I you hear, I'm sure, all the time that tell me, like, how do I get into, you know, I'm like, you just don't give up. I mean, you yeah, just whatever. And, and was that what it was like for you uh, as as other opportunities came along? Because nobody's going to come up to you and say, hey, uh, you know, see so you're in a, an associate producer here on the uh, on this show here. Uh, you ever thought about getting in front of the mic yourself or doing a show, you know? So all this time, are you you know thinking about doing more and not being behind the mic literally? I mean, on the other side. Uh, was that always the, the focus? You know, you're always thinking that you wanted to be that one of those personalities. Oh, absolutely. Yes, yeah. definitely. And it was one of those things of just never giving up. I, and I always thought, you know, like I thought that, okay, I'm an associate producer on this show and then a producer and then executive producer. And it's like, this is, you know, to get the opportunity to be a character, a personality on a show as big as Opie and Anthony. Yeah. Uh, it was always important to me to provide value in the position that I'm in. Like I, I never really wanted to overstep the position that I was in. I never really wanted to feel like it was a stepping stone, but I was always very clear that I wanted to 
be the host of a show. I wanted to develop my own material and be my own host. At the same time, very happy, you know, you know, to be a part of this big show that provided me this incredible exposure very, very early in my career. Like, you know, there's no substitute for having that level of exposure. But I think that you also have to realize that, you know, you're not here to be the star. You're here to put the stars up on a pedestal. That said, when I would do bits for Opie and Anthony, absolutely, if I could figure out a way that I would be included in on that bit, if I was going to present them audio, I would present them audio that maybe I could be an expert on so I could explain to them the audio that was being presented. Maybe right. I could you know, use my voice to develop characters and, and you know, create characters and pre-produce bits. Um, at the same time, while I was doing Opie and Anthony, I was doing other shows. They had a, a channel to themselves at the time on XM. So, you know, me and another guy that I worked with started doing a show, you know, one Saturday a month from midnight to 3 a.m. <laughs> it was like, okay, now I've established that this is also something I do. And then eventually it was two Saturdays a month, and then it was 9 p.m. to midnight, and then it was this thing that, I mean, over years, yeah. it just kind of rolled and rolled and rolled until, you know, eventually I started getting uh, opportunities and finally started to get seen in a light where people thought at Sirius and, and elsewhere thought that I was ready to kind of stand out on my own. Yeah. And, uh, you know, along the way, you have this uh, love for wrestling. Yeah. Um, when did that start to become a part of it? Uh, when you were still doing all this stuff with, with Sirius XM? Yeah. Uh, were you doing any, uh, I don't know, radio shows or anything that had to do with wrestling? So there were a couple things. Yeah, it was uh, first when I realized that WWE would hold press conferences. And at the time, they would do it like the WrestleMania press conference would be at the Hard Rock Cafe in Times Square or whatever. You know what I mean? They would have events mm -hmm. like that. And it was like a couple of years into being on uh, Opie and Anthony that I was like, oh, I could go to the press conferences and get interviews. Like it was like blowing my mind. Like, yeah, yeah and that's a legitimate thing. Like I work on a radio show. If the interviews yeah. are good, we'll play the audio on the air. Like this is actually what they're designed for. But you have passes to do that. You yeah, get in. Yeah, I don't have to sneak in. I don't have to like, like, oh, you work for who? You don't oh, have to put. I'm in. You don't have to wear a hat with a little card in it that says press. Yeah, yeah it was mind blowing. <laughs> So I started doing stuff like that, and that's where I really started yeah. getting wrestling interviews, right, and incorporating it into what I was doing, you know, with O and A and with SiriusXM. And uh, very early on, I would do, you know, kind of bits like the first one of the earlier bits that I did with Opie and Anthony that was recurring was when uh, Vince McMahon's limo blew up on Monday Night Raw. Yeah. And they treated it so seriously. And it was, you know, it was all a little bit tongue in cheek, but clearly as a storyline, they were taking it seriously. Right. So I went in on the air and, you know, like Opie and Anthony, they'd be like, Sam, what's this thing that happened on, on Monday Night Raw last night? And I was like, guys, it's not really funny, but oh, yeah. Vince passed away. And they were like, what? And I go, his, pits. his limo blew up. <laughs> Vince unfortunately passed away and his, his limo blew up and they are looking for the culprit. And like just played it completely straight the entire time, you know, throughout the week, like WWE.com was getting updated with storyline updates. So I would go in on the radio show that was not a wrestling radio show 
and present it as, hey, guys, there's good news. There is some information that's being leaked out right now. The investigation is ongoing. But and so, you know, at that point, you know, the audience started to get really familiar with the fact that I was I was, you know, wrestling obsessed. And mm-hmm. and yeah, it allowed me to start to incorporate my my passion for wrestling into my job. Yeah. And, and start growing an audience. Yes, exactly. And, and yeah, and that's always been kind of a big thing. Like as, as I got older, like as I entered into adulthood, it was like, you know, it's okay to still have these obsessions that you had when you were a kid, but they really have to fit into what you do. Like they have to fit into what you do for a living. Like they had, they can't, I've never liked the idea of being one of those sort of, uh, you know, weekend warrior guys where I'm stuck at this dead end job and I just, watch wrestling and I, I feel like I've got to incorporate it all together into one thing. And, and, and that's just how I figured it out. But when did it start to, to really get serious though, that this was going to be uh, another major part of your life as far as, uh, you know, as a job, really, I mean, it, uh, it would become that as well. Yeah. I think for me, it was, so when I started going to the WWE press conferences, I would kind of be asking half wacky questions that I was trying to get on the air on Opie and Anthony's show because that was the intent. And then you had to make it uh, content worthy for them. Right, right. Yeah. Which is again not a wrestling show. Yeah. But I was like, at, at one point, I was like, well, what if I just and I brought one of the guys with me to video, and I just did. Real, I, I asked these guys questions that I wanted to know, like as a wrestling fan, what if I just did some wrestling interviews with these guys? And if I happen to get some audio for ONA, um, I'll get some audio for ONA, or maybe I'll go like, okay, like one guy over here, I'll get some stuff for the radio show. But while I'm here, what if I just interviewed everybody I had access to and, and I got them on camera and everything and I, I just uploaded. And this was before podcasts were i don't even know if podcasts were around but it was definitely before they were big and it was before people were really doing a lot of wrestling interviews on youtube as well and it started to catch on with wrestling fans it it started to develop into a thing where it wasn't radio fans watching this it was wrestling fans that were watching and i'd go up and i'd ask all the wrestlers what's the haps and then and then i'd ask them a couple wrestling questions and it was like people were really starting to dig that content and so i did that for a while and then when i was doing my own shows outside of opie and anthony on sirius xm i would try to get you know wrestlers here and there to maybe do an interview on on my show with me and and i got to do that here and there um and then eventually yeah like five years ago i was like okay i'm doing all these interviews for youtube because that's where it got to. Like I was like, okay, I'm doing all these wrestling interviews for YouTube and seeing if there's spots to sneak them in on the radio. Yes. What if I added a wrestling podcast and these and these interviews that I keep doing? What if I just made them a little bit more frequent and I put them out as a podcast every week? And mm-hmm. and and that's why I did that. Were you getting big numbers on YouTube at that time with the? Yeah, yeah, I was doing. I yeah, I was doing well on YouTube, especially for the time. You know, I don't yeah, know if you look back and go and go yeah. and by today's standards, you know, are they earth shattering? I don't know about that. But for the time and for me, they were really good and people were and they were really resonating. And I remember actually the first person that I recall from within the business 
to acknowledge what I was doing on social media was Paul Heyman. And this was Paul Heyman was not at WWE at the time. This was, you know, one of the times where he was outside of WWE is before he'd come back. And I put up a montage of me asking what's the haps to a bunch of WWE guys at one of the WrestleMania press conferences. And Paul Heyman, you know, put it up on his Twitter. I didn't know him. He he just somebody had alerted him to the video, I guess, and he thought it was funny and he uh. posted it. And I was like, "Oh my, like that was it was oh my god." Yeah. Right? Heyman. And, uh, yeah. And yeah, and 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 that was one of the early sort of uh first things. So when did uh, the WWE ever what was like the first recognition you got from them? Um so, you know, the more stuff I was doing, the more it was like the publicists knew who I was. The superstars knew who I was because I'd be at everything. I mean, everything yeah. I could get to, I would be there. If they were doing a radio row, I would travel to it. If they were doing a press conference, I would be there. Everything, everything, everything. And, I mean, it's not that different now, but but everything yeah. I could be at, I would but be then, at. Yeah. And, well, you had another job, too. They were expecting you to show up, too. Right? <laughs> right, right. So it would be like – and, again, luckily I was in New York. Yeah, so there yeah. was a lot of opportunity right. to, to do both. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I wouldn't, I was never missing my day job, obviously for it, mm-hmm. but right. any opportunity I could possibly get, I would do it. And also I was getting the content out there and the guys were starting to become aware of the content. And there was, at the time, there weren't that many people working in radio that were also wrestling fans. So when the guys would come in and do interviews, I would actually, we would be able to talk about wrestling in a real way. And I'm sure, you know, you're aware from doing the podcast the guys who do media a lot, they would tend to, especially then, get really relieved when it was like, oh, I don't have to, like, do the sort of schlocky morning show where they have no idea who I am or what I'm talking about. Like, right. and actually just right. sit here and talk wrestling. This is great. So that stuff started to happen, and then I started to make friends, uh, you know, within the wrestling industry, and I started uh, popping in to do various things on, like, independent shows and, you know, do commentary on this show, do a little shtick on that show, just to I, – I just started emailing independent promoters just because I wanted to do stuff, not wrestle, but just do stuff on shows and, and yeah. go and be a part of the world in whatever way I could be. Um, yeah, and then and, – and, you know, I I'd made some friends inside WWE, too. Eventually, I did uh, – a broadcaster audition in Stanford at WWE, which I got zero callback from. No, no callback whatsoever. <laughs> no interest. Uh, Sell the broom. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized, I realized that I had gotten the audition. I think as a favor to somebody who liked me because yeah. I don't, I don't, you know, I just don't think that that was ever. But whatever, all things happen in the right time for the right reason. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah but you look at this. You look at this, uh, Sam. This uh, timeline on this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you worked your ass off for a, for a good decade there. Yeah. And then, I mean, things really start to happen. What, 2014, 2015? And look, we're talking four years that yeah. uh, this all just is blown up. I mean, in, in, in terms of, uh, you know, you're like the, the king of all media here for when it comes to uh, wrestling. And I mean, with the podcast, I mean, you start that about then, right? And it's, uh, I think it's initially Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, now not Sam, but yeah, uh, it, 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 it's not like, I guess, an overnight success in a lot of ways, but was that like all of a sudden it just started to snowball? I mean, all this work, and then it just started to roll. Um, 
I don't. There's a lot has happened over the last four years for you. Yes, and a lot started clicking, but I also feel like uh, it's not like I worked my ass off for the first ten, and then in the last four, I've been able to kind of just enjoy that. It's like yeah. you know, I've been working even harder in the last four, but the results are there, and like yeah, that's what I mean. I'm like now, the, yeah, the last few years, the results of just like yes. man. You know? Yes. And I'm getting to live, you know, all these things that I dreamed about. You know, I was doing, yeah. you know, I think at this point, four years ago and four and a half to five years ago, I got the opportunity to launch my own solo show on Sirius XM, Sam Roberts show. And I did that for about a year and a half. And it was like one of the greatest times in my life. You know, I was on from nine to midnight every night, you know, and just figuring it out just on an island by myself making it work and, and, you know, created this little monster of a show. And I just loved it. And it got to the point where uh, Sirius came to me and they were like, look, you know, we want to do a morning show. We want to keep Jim Norton on board. Do you like Jim? You know, we want to do more with you. What do you think of doing a show with Jim? And I was like, I love Jim. I've known Jim forever. And, you know, he's one of the funniest, if not the funniest people on radio. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a no brainer. So, You know, I, serious. We talk about it. You know, we figure things out. And they put myself and Jim Norton on the air in the mornings three years ago. And right around the same time, I get a phone call from Michael Cole, who says, hey, Sam, uh, you know, I've been working on doing something like this for a long time, but we want to get an outsider's perspective on some of these kickoff shows that we do. Uh, would you want to come by and do a kickoff show for one of the next few pay-per-views? And I was like, what? yeah, after, yeah. You put the phone, phone. after you fall down and pick the phone back up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, yes, yes, I yeah. want to come by and yeah. do one of the next like, couple. Uh, give me a sec. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Yes, I do. Um, yeah. And that's kind of where this sort of most recent chapter really began. Yeah. And, and you know, and Sam, there there are a ton of uh, God, uh, who can even count how many wrestling podcasts are out there. And uh, when I first listened to your podcast, I had no idea uh, about you. I didn't know anything about your background. And I told like initially I hear you and I hear your voice. I'm like, oh, boy. And but I'm, I listen, <laughs> you know, I mean, I listen yeah. and yeah. and you got me. And, and I'll tell you the thing that I enjoy the most, uh, uh, you know, I know that the guys like to come on because not you can, you can they talk wrestling. They talk wrestling all the time. But. You have that uh, way about you. You can call it a gift or whatever, but it is a conversation, and you learn about them as people. And I'm telling you, that's what, even though, you know, uh, you get the latest on what their angle is or storyline, whatever's going on, but I am always in when you learn more about a person because uh, that's what intrigues you, and then it certainly intrigues me, and I, I don't – I don't imagine that's anything you've worked on. I just have a feeling that's kind of just the way you are. Yeah, man. I mean, I, is that? Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it just comes from my really natural curiosity. I, I'm really mm-hmm. interested in people, especially when they're doing something that I admire or that is – something that they've been working on for years or I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm endlessly interested in people's stories and their thought processes. And I mean, you know, wrestling is such a strange world oh, yeah. that, you know, I could, I could talk and hear every single professional wrestler's story 
for the rest of my life and never be bored. Like I just, yeah. I'm, I'm interested in them. I have a very natural curiosity and, and I think about that. What am I curious about? And, you know, if I didn't have access to interview this person, what would I want me to be asking about right now? Mm-hmm. And so, and that's kind of, you know, that's, that's kind of where I come from. Like the again, I mean, if you were to say that's the philosophy of the show, and you know, it's the same thing with my, with my podcast, and and I, you know, I don't know if I was fifty episodes in, but I'd always have people, you know, email me or you know, send me a message about, you know, I just never knew that much about them. They're just really learning about their lives is so inspiring, and then I kind of realized, you know what, that's what this is about. It's not even so much learning about their careers they have, which of course we cover and talk about. But if you think about it, and even to it's true to this day, no matter how they travel this road, this is one of the toughest businesses ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, next to entertainment. <laughs> but uh it is a part of it. But these guys, you know, to pretty much to a person, uh, women too, that they come from these places where it wasn't easy. There's that wasn't an easy path. You come into this thing with everybody telling you, what are you kidding? You'll never make it. And they have to somehow get past that. And then along the way from people that are their peers, their professionals telling them you aren't good enough. And they're just really inspirational. And, uh, you know, and, and learning about their lives is, uh, you know, it's fascinating. And I think that today, even more so because the business has changed so much, it kind of reminds me of, uh, you know, say for the major league baseball players back in the day, these guys are riding the subway to the ballpark. Mm-hmm. And now it's, that's the way wrestling was. I mean, these guys were, you know, driving around cars and beat up old, you know, making 50 bucks a, uh, some weeks, you know, getting gas. And now it's gone into, now it's, it's rock star. And it's, uh, it's, it's really, it's just so fascinating to hear about people's lives from, from both sides of that. Yeah, I really agree. And I think, too, like the thing about wrestling is that there is so much coverage of it now. Yeah. Um, you know, people giving the scoops and talking about what's really going on and the motivations and blah, blah, blah. I think it is uh, so much more endlessly interesting to just get the perspective of somebody who's living it. What is your life like living it? You know, and and what do you do when you're not living it? And and what do you do day to day? And and how do you handle the fact that, that I don't think people realize how mentally taxing this thing is? How do you handle that part of it? You know, how do you eat enough to keep the calories that you need to work out properly to gain the muscle mass? Like there is so many different angles to hit this from. And I mean, I also think that even today with as much visibility as pro wrestling has and as 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 smart as people are in general to what the business is i still think that that pro wrestlers are treated so unfairly when it comes to the basic understanding of what they do and i think there is still such a condescension Mm -hmm. to the industry as a whole from people that are outside of it that you know if i can have some kind of record of anybody getting to know these superstars as the human beings that they are and just a little bit of, of you know, because they have to be amazing people to pull it off on any kind of long-term basis. Oh, my God, so, yes. You know, if you can get any sort of inkling of that, then I feel like that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, and you, and you look at them, like you just said, all the things you have to have, 
Uh, not only do you have to be uh, an incredible physical specimen these days, I mean, it's rare that you can be, you know, uh, like our dusty roads, you know, and, and make it. Mm-hmm. You have to be an incredible physical specimen. You have to be incredibly athletic. I can't even believe what these guys do today in the ring uh, and, and still are able to do it night after night. And then you have to be able to get you have to be really good in front of a camera and a mic. Oh, you know, and then on top of all that, then you have to somehow be the, the final thing is just be received by an audience that likes you. And that is that is the uh, nobody knows what what that is. You know what it is. You just know when it happens. Yeah. But thank God there are people like Dwayne Johnson and, and Steve Austin and uh, these other guys that have gone on. Uh, you know, I mentioned The Rock because, you know, look where he is. He's the most famous entertainer in the world now. But I think people are starting to see in, in many ways what these what how what incredible entertainers these guys are, because, you know, these guys will show up on a set and somebody would hand them a script and they've been in their what trailer for 10 minutes. And say, OK, let's go. You right. know, I mean, you know, what I mean, because they're so used to going out and doing a five minute monologue and nailing it in, in live in front of, you know, twenty five, thirty thousand people. So they really are the the ones that, uh, you know, that have been really successful at this have all of that. But at the same time, even to be at a level like NXT or, you know, SmackDown or even AEW now, you've got you, you are a really among the elite entertainers with it, with, with that much of a package. Absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's 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 incredible. Yeah. It's just so, um, you know, You've interviewed just about everybody, I imagine, at this point. Uh, who are the, some of your favorites that really stand out? Maybe a particular interview or a guy you just like having come back, like the Miz. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy the repertoire uh, or, or the rapport, I should say, that uh, that the Miz and I have. We can never yeah. quite get on the same page. But, it's great though. The banter is. You know. Yeah, we always end up. He's always this close uh, to walking. Right, right, which I like. <laughs> Which I like. Um, but, you know, uh, I actually just very recently on the podcast did an interview with Baron Corbin that I really, really enjoyed. Um, I've done a couple interviews with Daniel Bryan that I've really, really enjoyed. Um, Adam Cole from NXT is somebody that I love having on the podcast. Uh, I had uh, Jeff Jarrett on a little while back, and I thought he was absolutely phenomenal and we kind of went over in depth his entire first wwe run and in detail and and it was just awesome um so guys like that have all been really pretty uh spectacular i did you know one of the ones that surprised me was luckily before he passed uh i did an interview with the ultimate warrior that was about i don't know it ended up being about 11 minutes but it was uh, at one of the video game things, and I found out about it at the last minute. I knew it was in New York, and uh, I was like, "Oh my god!" But it was that day. It was that afternoon. So I'm 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 with uh, uh, my friend Roland, who works at Sirius as a talent booker, and I'm like, "Roland, can you find out who the publicist is that's running this thing? Let's go down there. Let's get an interview. Let's see what we could do. Let's get there." And so he ended up making some calls. I was sending some emails to people that I knew, and we found out. Okay, yeah, come on down. You can interview the video game creator or whatever. I was like, whatever, just to get in the door. Let's do right, it. Right. And so we got in there, and the warrior was there, and he really wasn't doing interviews. And I was like, look, I just, I will plug 
whatever game you want me to plug, wherever you want me to plug it, I'll do it on the radio. Whatever you need, you will get – I will make sure your information gets out there. I just need 15 seconds with the Ultimate Warrior. All I want to do is ask him what's the haps. I just need his reaction. I, I swear to God that's the only question. Hey, what's the haps? And that's it. All right, let me talk to – okay, all right. You can go and you can ask him one question. And I go, great, okay, fabulous. And I went in and I asked him, uh, what's the haps? And he was kind of annoyed, which is okay. You know, I don't mind people being annoyed. And I was like, you know. He was annoyed at me several times. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And we had this quick back and forth, but I looked around and nobody was rapping me. There was nobody there giving a rap sign or anything. So I just kind of started throwing questions at him. And we ended up having this great conversation for 10 to 12 minutes before I was like, okay, like this was supposed to be 15 seconds and we've now gotten 10 to 12 minutes. And I actually really enjoyed the conversation. I thanked him. He thanked me, the whole thing. Like, and that was like, uh, I don't know. That was probably, uh, May, maybe. I think it was right around the beginning of the summer. Uh, that August, mm-hmm. um, the video game company had a media event around SummerSlam that I went to. And one of the things you could do was meet the Ultimate Warrior. They let the press meet the Ultimate Warrior. And I, Gotten my interview all those months before. It was, you know, just 10 to 12 minutes with the warrior. I thought that was cool. And I was with my wife and I was like, Jess, like, let's get online to meet the warrior. And it was really like I had already had my interaction with him, but I thought it would be funny to have a picture of my wife and the ultimate warrior together. I was like, it'd be great. Yeah. And so we wait on this line. And again, I haven't spoken to him and I spoke to him for 10 to 12 minutes months ago. And that's it. That's the only interaction we've ever had. And, and that's it. And. So we're waiting on this line. He's taking pictures. He's taking pictures. He's taking pictures. You know, you've heard all these things about the warrior, especially at that time. Not easy to deal with this and that. Mm-hmm. And so the line comes up and I go, hello, as if it's the first time we're meeting because I don't want to embarrass him and go like, hey, right. yeah, right. and he looks at me and he goes, hey, what's the haps? And I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. And he was like, I didn't know what that was, but my daughter told me and it was great. Bob, how are you, Bob? And I was like, the interview along with that interaction is really one of my favorite, one of my favorite things that has ever happened around the podcast. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think, you know, for a lot of people, it was just like, cool, a 10 minute interview with the warrior, but all things considered and, you know, where they came from and everything, that's probably my, my favorite interaction. You know, and that's, that was the thing about Jim though. And even when you work with him, it just, you didn't know who you were going to get that day. You know, mm-hmm. that he would, I mean, I, really, I had some really great times with him. I mean, we had great conversations. And the next time you see him, he wouldn't look up from the table. You know, it's like, <laughs> but uh, I don't know how long that was before his, his uh, before he passed. But um, that, that's really awesome. That uh, he, You know, and I think he was a very misunderstood guy, uh, especially, you know, coming into the WWF when he did. And Sam, if you, you, I'm sure you know your history of uh, what it was like back then. Like when I came in, it was still, these two worlds were colliding. We, uh, you know, people like me from the outside world, and then it was still old school. And you walk into a locker room and they're talking Carney, you know, like for the whole first year I was there. So you had somebody like the warrior come in who was totally from another world, like bodybuilding. And, you know, he, they hated him from the second he arrived. He was this great looking, unbelievably buff guy and he was skyrocketing to fame. So you got to, you know, take it from that point of view that it, they didn't make it easy for him either. So you can understand his resistance to, you know, to, to, to you know, getting part of being part of that world too. Yeah. And I would imagine that he probably has 
people in his ear saying like, look, you know, you're going to be a star. You need to act like a star. And then you've got other people there going like, who's this guy think he is walking around here? Like he's like yeah. he's a star all of a sudden. And, you know, mixed signals happen that way, I think, really quickly. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's the, that's the way it was for him. But I think that you, you bring up the point, though, you know, like a lot of these interviews, sometimes you you really get surprised by people that you're thinking, oh, I don't know if this interview is going to be that great. And then they just blow the doors off, you know, and, and I've I found that in, in many cases, especially when you interview guys that have, you know, from my era and beyond who, you know, done 20 shoot interviews. So I right. know they've got, you know, they, they've got these stories and they can't help it. It's not like they want to tell the same story the exact same way, but they've told it so many times and that's what people want to hear. And so when I give them, I'm asking questions that they've, I'm trying that they haven't really been asked or take it from a different point of view. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of, a lot of them out there that had great careers that they haven't done that many interviews. And I right. had, uh, I had Slick on. A, a month or so ago, and, and it uh, and it was just a wonderful conversation with him because I know we talked about things that he hadn't talked about for you know 25 years, and he just loved thinking back. And we ended up, I think, we did two and a half hours. Incredible. You know? well, yeah. You also have such a great perspective, right? Like you, it's one thing to do an interview with somebody that's watched wrestling. Like you know, I all I can do is come from a fan perspective, so I can sit there and I can talk to people about what I assume it would have been like at that time and and what my experience was watching it on TV and everything. But you as a person who was there, you have a very unique perspective in terms of not only what to ask about, but what to expand on and and kind of what things were really like. Yeah. And you know what else has been really fun for me? Because when it's happening and, uh, you know, and I hope that you are aware of this at this point in your career, you know, you don't really take it in. And there were, you know, I didn't know a lot about these guys' lives until now, just from having these conversations with them. And you're just trying to keep up, you know, you're peddling. And uh, to get that that whole different perspective now, and like, I'll go back, you know, they want, uh, we do these watch-alongs. And I don't, you know, I'm, I was like Tony. I don't remember that people ask you about these pay-per-views, but when I watch them, this stuff comes back and I think about, you know, something funny that happened backstage or Gene did this or, you know, and mm-hmm. so it, it's been a, it's, it's been a, a great journey, uh, doing this. I've, I've gotten as much a kick out of this as uh, I hope that people listening have because, uh, that's, that it's just been fun. And, and like I said, there's, there's these conversations you have, you know, like, uh, with Coco Beware, uh, you know, and, and him telling the story, uh, you know, about the, the, the big brawl in, in Brussels and, and, uh, you know, it, that I never had a chance to talk to him about. So it's just like, if I were at a bar with him, I would be talking about the stuff to him. And, and, and because I was there too, not, not at that event, but I mean, I was there at the time when all this was going on. So it's, it's, it's been a blast. And, and, uh, I just, you know, as you go along this way, I just hope you take it in because, uh, <laughs> I hope you're not doing a podcast in 30 years, but <laughs> it might be. Yeah, no, I, I like, I mean, that's one thing. And that's when I, when I, I, when I did my first thing, when I did my first kickoff show with WWE and when I did my last kickoff show with WWE most recently, uh, every single time it's like, I can't believe I'm here. This is everything. Like, this is incredible. You know, nobody thought this would happen and, and you're yeah. doing it. 
and if it ends today, it can never be taken away and sit there and soak this all in. It's like when I first found out I could go to the press conferences. The fact that like I am invited and I am there backstage with the other announcers and I am eating and catering and I am supposed to be there. <laughs> sitting there going like, well, who let this kid in? And yeah. somebody throw him out and he snuck back here. None of it. It's like. And well, he's already had four cookies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, I go in, you know, yeah. as soon as I get there, I'm there, uh, you know, on the early side and I put my bags down and I watch. I, I just go into the arena and I watch the ring being constructed and I look at this big empty arena and I, I kind of just every single time I make an effort to take it all in and never, never take any of it for granted. And that's sometimes tougher then other times, and you know, as human beings tend to do, you find yourself slipping into unhealthy patterns of wanting more, no matter how much you're getting. Like there's just more, just more is better, more, more. And like I, I work really diligently to not have that mindset and to sit there and go, this is today and this is unbelievable. Well, Sam, this has been uh, been great. Uh, as a wrap this up, I mean, what what's next? I mean, what more what more do you want, young man? Man, I just you know, I want to do everything. I'm just so, <laughs> I, and it's all because you know I find myself like there is no level of depth in a thing that I love that I don't want to go to. You know what I mean? If yeah. I were an underwater explorer, explorer, I would want to be like James Cameron getting to the bottom of the ocean. Like I want to be as ingrained in the worlds uh, of the things that I'm interested in as I possibly can be. And I want to, you know, kind of surround myself with the smartest and the most interesting and most successful people that I can possibly surround myself from and learn, surround myself with and learn from. You know, I, I think that that's, that's what it's all about for me and, and just doing more of that. And, and I, to me is, is like all that it is. I don't know if there's one specific thing that I can tell you, well, here's my goal. You know, I am, yeah. you know, at this point it'd be ridiculous. I'm doing a, a morning show on Sirius XM and I get to be on the WWE pay-per-view kickoff shows and the NXT pre-shows, which are some of my favorite things to do. Like yeah. for me to tell you, I want to do this, would come across as as egotistical and insane but whatever you think this is i want to do it <laughs> you know I, so so it's never ending yeah well i think that the, what shines through those you, you love what you do and that's that's the way you way you should live and uh it's fantastic uh anything folks can look out for that's that's upcoming so they can uh, be more entertained by you yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always uploading stuff to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash notsam. That's got uh, tons of wrestling content, but also non-wrestling content. I was telling you, every Friday night we go live after SmackDown to do Sam Roberts Now. It's a non-wrestling show, but it's a super fun show. Uh, you can listen every morning on SiriusXM to Jim Norton and Sam Roberts on Channel 103. Every Monday and Thursday we drop Not Sam Wrestling on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and notsam.com and everywhere else. And... You know, look, if you want content from Sam Roberts, you would have to be trying pretty hard not to be able to find any of this. <laughs> That's you know, so, really true, man. So it shouldn't you be. Are, you are the king of media. You've taken over. Sorry, Howard. Uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Thank you. It's been awesome. Thanks for coming on Prime Time.
Thank you, man. I really appreciate it.